there are a lot of solutions that will work really well in what is basically an edge case to the national experience of being I'm John Manis, investor at Basis at Ventures, and this is Future Proof Episode 11. We're digging into the future of convenience with 7-Eleven. Today, we're lucky to welcome Josh Stramiello from the partnerships team at 7-Eleven. Josh is responsible for leading an internal effort to partner with startups, transforming food and logistics. Welcome, Josh. Why don't you start by giving listeners a little bit of background on yourself, your role, and of course, 7-Eleven for anyone who isn't already aware. Sure. I'm a two-time founder in the logistics and food space specifically. I had one startup that was based on restaurant reservation management systems and another one that was based on lifestyle management and grocery. And uh, I joined 7-Eleven on the partnership team, focusing on ways that we can partner and improve last mile delivery. We're so big that uh, we were the number one convenience store company, 7-Eleven. And we just purchased the number three company, Speedway. That's public, $22 billion deal. I think it would just be helpful for founders listening to get a sense for how convenience and retail and the fuel space broadly were affected during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, I think that it's not uniform. It varied by region. And I also think that if you look at like micro ecosystems, traditional office centers, for example, if you had a restaurant or a store that was built around office parts, you were really going to struggle. Any business that was focused on grocery, any business that was focused on delivery, any business that was focused on things that consumers could do at home, box food services grew rapidly. I would say that we were relatively unaffected. So it's not that we were not affected. It's that there are so many ways a 7-Eleven location plugs into our consumers' lives. We're assisting our consumers with fuel. We're assisting our consumers with beer. Liquor sales were up with the pandemic. You couldn't go to bars. 7-Eleven carries a surprising amount of fresh food and that our hot food and our fresh food categories really exploded during the pandemic. And we've sustained a lot of that coming out of it as we started to see the country open back up. Do you think that informs the strategic priorities of the company and that in some of those categories you mentioned, alcohol or prepared foods, these become bigger priorities and staples of 7-Eleven. It's not like there wasn't a delivery initiative and then the pandemic hit. Oh, now we need to invest in delivery has been on the roadmap for a long time, as is hot food. You really had to have the infrastructure and, and the planning to take advantage of the surge in demand. I think if anything, what the pandemic did was it accelerated timelines and roadmaps. Got it. So one, one question that comes up a lot in the venture side is how long and how pervasive some of these trends are going to be. Like everybody knows some percentage of consumers want to stick with delivery. That will be a yeah. permanent repercussion of COVID. Where people start to diverge is what percentage is it going to be? Pandora is out of the box. For a certain segment of the population, they had just never tried delivery. They just didn't know they could get their groceries at home. They just didn't know they could get food at a quality that was restaurant quality at home. And then once that behavior becomes learned, the odds of it sticking, that's going to vary based on economic status. Does the cost of eating out for a cheeseburger, is that a decision that you have to really think about? Or is it something that is just incidental? One of the things we're really focused on is we expand fresh food and grocery. 7-Eleven, we have 14,000 locations. We exist in a lot of food deserts. So as we expand our offerings and get more fresh food and we increase delivery, we're now literally increasing 
the amount of healthy options that are available to people. The second thing I'll say that you addressed is, okay, once people get a taste for it, is that how it's going to stay? So I think that it's not just where delivery is right now. Like it's an industry standard to see 30 minute delivery. If you're a company that can only deliver food in an hour, you're going to really struggle in a competitive marketplace, which is where we are. So you've seen 30 minute as the standard and people are pushing that down. There's companies that are doing 15. We have regions, not nationwide yet, but we have regions where we're hitting under 15 minute delivery. The difference in convenience, because that really is what 7-Eleven comes back to. We're not a delivery company. We're not a, a, a gas company. We're a convenience company. And so we want to be at the forefront of convenience. And once we get that down in the future to where we can consistently deliver our products at 10 minutes or less, that's less time than a customer could go pick up the food. That's less time than the customer could even go to a restaurant, place to order and wait for the food. So there's things that the education of the, the general public has made possible that as technology improves and as the infrastructure improves, there will be new offerings that that same consumer can now learn that aren't even available today. And I think that 10-minute restaurant quality food is a game changer, and that hasn't really happened yet nationally. But it is on the roadmap for a lot of different companies, including Set From your perspective, at least, as, as founders think about opportunities in these spaces, I think a lot of founders, and rightly so, would say these are crowded spaces. If you were a founder today, how would you think about where the opportunity still lies? There's problems around, we already talked about a couple on this call, problems around delivery time. Right? So if you're a founder and you go, man, it's a massive issue. How do you solve for 15-minute delivery in a non-densely populated area? Or you can say, okay, how do I solve the problem around food waste? Or how do I solve the problem around forecasting and predicting consumer behavior? There was a song, 300 million hits on YouTube. Or something. And the, the, the kid was a, a TikTok rapper. I shouldn't say kid. He's probably 18 or 19, but he's not that old. And uh, he's a TikTok rapper. And he just did a song called Blueberry Fago. And then overnight, it was like top 10 on the billboards and you couldn't get Blueberry Fago anywhere. And it wasn't that it was like the most popular drink. But suddenly you couldn't get it. People were selling cases of it on eBay. So like looking for trends, like companies like 7-Eleven, we have an unmatched, unparalleled infrastructure. And if you can identify a product like that, 7-Eleven is suddenly carrying Blueberry Fago. That's a service right there. We're always interested in how we provide a better customer experience, whether that's through the preparation of our products, whether it's through the user experience on our app, we're always cost conscious. Where can we save money? Where can we pass that savings down? So there are so many problems. Also, 7-Eleven has invested in, in, in food concepts. Uh, so we have food concepts like the Rita Taco Company, Parlor Pizza, that are really high quality concepts. And so we're looking at all the different things that are being done in the uh, QSR space and in the restaurant delivery space, which is just a, it's just a massive category. So if you're a founder and you're looking at this, be thinking things like, how do I satisfy the price point of the customer? How do I satisfy the taste point of the customer? How do I predict trends? How do I facilitate the logistics around inventory preparation, delivery, just down the line? Like even a small arm of the business requires solving dozens and dozens of problems, of which most of these are unsolved problems. So I was taking a look at your, there's a pretty interesting deck that was put together for 7-Eleven talking about technology goals for the next couple of years. And I noticed sure. that there are a couple of named priorities in here, talks about 
last mile. There's some conversation around cards and loyalty programs, even internal infrastructure stuff like CRMs and other software tools that that 7-Eleven uses to function at the store level. I'm curious how you guys think about the build versus buy trade-off. We don't tend to have a lot of single partner categories because we're so big, it would be hard to only work with one company. We have dozens of partners usually in, in, in a lot of different categories. For something like payment processing, we use dozens of software products to make up the stack that it takes to run a business of our size. We're a convenience company. If somebody is building next generation technology, our attitude is going to be to partner or buy instead of trying to become an algorithm company. We have a very large engineering team. We have uh, two different apps, uh, Seven Now and Seven Rule, which are being merged into one app. And we handle all kinds of things from those, like customer ordering, have robust loyalty programs in there, delivery capabilities through our delivery service providers and partners. In terms of the build versus buy, for us to go through our own infrastructure and replicate something internally, it's usually going to take longer and be more expensive than just outright partnering or buying the technology. Well, so, so I want to take that opportunity to zoom out a little bit to some of the macro stuff happening across the ecosystem. I find the Speedway sure. transaction really fascinating because to me as an outsider, and maybe you have a different perspective on this, it feels like even though from a consumer perspective, everything is moving remote, everything is becoming digital, the, the battle lines where the broader convenience, retail, food service, and gas spaces are being fought is still fundamentally a brick and mortar question. And I think for a lot of founders, you think about everything from warehouse space all the way through even the supply chains to be able to get these products in the hands of consumers, it's still very much a physical world type of problem. So that's not exactly a question, but I, I am curious just to get your reflections on that and whether you wanna speak about the Speedway deal specifically or not, just the role that you see brick and mortar playing in the future. With the Speedway, a lot of 7-Eleven locations and a lot of Speedways are in very rural areas. A lot are in urban areas and in a very downtown area. But the footprint nationally of what it takes to provide fuel and food and convenience and amenities to people, it is a massive infrastructure. And while there are different ways to disrupt that, usually that disruption starts in incredibly dense city centers specifically areas like San Francisco or New York, and then it starts to slowly spread out. But even though we might be seeing different companies do pilots of autonomous vehicles that are doing deliveries, you know, from delivery only facilities, that the, the person in Iowa still needs their fuel. The person in Iowa still needs their food. And when you step back and you look at how many people are in those less densely populated areas, I think the Speedway purchase starts to make a lot of sense because we are talking about kind of innovation, but let's not make any mistake about it. Speedway is a very established company. 7-Eleven is an incredibly established company. They know what they're doing. They, they know how to handle convenience. They know how to handle the supply chain, the infrastructure. And even as disruption occurs, it will not be a binary switch that is flipped. It will be, some regions will be impacted by it greater than others, and some regions will adopt it faster than and the financials are really strong for everything. And our ability to serve more people through this deal is really what I think excites us. And so when you think about the, the, the battle lines, as I was referring to them within the broader convenience and retail food service spaces, 
is your sense that attention should still be on the supply chain side of things? And let me just elaborate on that a little bit so that it, it makes sense, right? When I look at the direction that most startups are going, it's all about new distribution, figuring out how to reach consumers outside of a physical location. But as I was just yeah. saying, the limitation of that is you still need a supply chain to be able to fulfill the products, even if you, you know, identify the customer and acquire them digitally, as companies like Amazon know all too well, it's very hard to do those two things independently. When 7-Eleven or any other company in the space thinks about innovation, how do you balance those two pieces? Is it, I guess, in some sense, acquire on the brick and mortar side, and then startups play more of a role in terms of distribution? Do you think 7-Eleven and companies like 7-Eleven always own the physical infrastructure? Or do you think there's a future where, you know, even that is owned by startups or or third-party providers? How do you think about that piece of it? As you get into the supply chain business, and as you get into logistics, and you start to try to understand what it means to have quality foods that are fresh nationally, like really close to everywhere, that's a massive undertaking. And the startup model that works really well, maybe a delivery only model, that business model might work really well in densely populated areas where you have a high concentration of consumers and a low access to grocers. That model might never pick up. It might never expand into a city that's in the Midwest that has unbelievably great access to groceries and low population. You're gonna see tremendous difference across regions and tremendous difference across even climate, socioeconomic status. Even if one company was the best, one of the companies that we own is called Laredo Taco Company. Even if Laredo Taco Company was the best restaurant in the history of the world, which I'm sure it is, and that's not the company line that I'm telling, right? Most people are not gonna eat it every meal of the day. They're not gonna eat it three meals a day, seven days a week. So even in a scenario where you have someone that is just crushing it, most consumers are going to get their food products from a blend of sources. So there won't be one winner. There might be a category leader, but there won't, it's not winner take all. And then from that perspective, in terms of basket size, transaction size for consumers, there is ultimately a balance between depth versus breadth running up spend per customer based on density in urban areas and cities versus investing in more geographically dispersed rural areas, whereby, you know, it, revenue per geographic. We've done that. So not every 7-Eleven store is the same. They don't come out of a cookie. Bar. And we have certain stores that have called 7-Eleven evolution stores yeah. that have different rest, restaurant concepts and then dramatic increases in fresh food availability, almost food court style or grocery style. So we've experimented already and are, and are growing our footprint of stores that fit the need. We want to serve our customers. We want to provide them what they need. And so doing that requires not just having a cookie cutter box that you drop in a zip code. It requires understanding where you're going into and and what the customers need. Interesting. I I think that part of it is fascinating, right? Because in that sense, it's not one 7-Eleven, it's thousands of different 7-Eleven experiences, depending on who the ultimate end consumer is. And I would imagine a lot of what we were just talking about ultimately ties back to how do you deliver that convenient experience, which is going to have many different definitions, depending on who ultimately that end consumer is to such a wide variety of people. Some people are going to want delivery. For some people, that means fresh food. For some people, that means 15-minute delivery. It's relatively heterogeneous, which is very interesting. Are there any companies or almost tropes that you've seen in this space 
that you think doesn't work? I know you've seen a handful of pilots internally. So part of that reason that we bought Speedway is because the footprint of Speedway is really the heart of America. It really is that solid, salt of the earth, middle ground America. There's a lot of great locations there. And the coasts and the footprint of where you see traditionally like venture-backed startups launch, that does not match up with the Speedway footprint. I would say that there are a lot of solutions that are being overbuilt that will work really well in what is basically an edge case to the national experience of being in there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of startups that are out there that uh, they exaggerate what the size of their market is. <laughs> Not to rock the boat and be contrarian, I'm just curious, why make that investment in middle America? Why does 7-Eleven, and not necessarily asking you to make the argument on behalf of 7-Eleven, but... If you're, oh, if, I was the one who signed the $22 billion check now. It's okay. Uh, like, no, <laughs> you think about the kind of broader retail and convenience space, you're exactly right. Like all the startups that we see, people are focused on the coast. They're focused on dense areas. That's where they feel like there's the most margin to extract from a profit perspective. The startups have to, especially the venture back ones, because they have to return a hundred times. They have to return a thousand times on the investment. So there has to be this massive gain because they're also inherently risky the way they're structured. 7-Eleven's model and Speedway's model works. 7-Eleven is a 90-year-old. We've been through, I, I'm not a historian, but I don't know, eight depressions, 11, seven, some number like that. But 7-Eleven isn't going anywhere. So when you're trying to hit it out of the park, you need advantages and, and you need economies of scale and, and you need network effects. But 7-Eleven just has a formula and incredible infrastructure and incredible knowledge. How to do it. They know if there's this many people that live in a region, this many people need these things. And we know how to provide those things really well. 97% of 7-Eleven locations will be around for the next 20 years. Sure. No, I, I think that makes sense. I just, it's a very interesting role to play. And what I was actually thinking while you were sharing that background and story is what an amazing opportunity if I was a startup founder to be able to get my product in front of a demographic that I'm probably not reaching today. And if I'm yes. a startup founder, I probably don't want to own all of the infrastructure that 7-Eleven owns, but look at it, this. And, yeah. Yeah. Just thinking about founders that want to sell to 7-Eleven or an organization like 7-Eleven, what is the right way to do that? You mentioned earlier, just reach out, email, all that kind of stuff. Email josh.stromiello, S-T-R-A, Amazon Mary, I-E-L-L, at 7 And it's really that easy. That In, in terms of the, the actual sales, people say, get your internal champions, find your internal users, navigating the process. Like, What else yeah, would I mean, you I recommend might, for founder? If the question is how to get in contact with 7-Eleven, it's, it's that easy. Email me. The answer, the answer might be no. The answer might be, hey, it's not a good fit. Or, or, hey, I don't see that there's a good fit. Or the answer might be, hey, that sounds great, but it's not my division. Let me send it over to someone there. And then that person might never take an interest in it. But Does it matter to you if there are existing 7-Eleven franchises using? I know a lot of founders like to think about that as a way to scale into larger mm -hmm. organizations. Place 7-Eleven is set up, most of the innovation comes corporate. First. So most of our locations are corporate. We, we do have franchisees. The way our structure is set up, usually our franchisees choose what things they want to participate in that have come from the top. It's not, it's not the other way around. I, I would say that you, there's literally no damage you could do to starting a conversation. I'll tell you this right now. If 100 people email me, it's very likely that for 90 of them, we're either already working on something and we've been working on it for a year plus, or we've had 10 other people pitch us in. That's like the more likely scenario. 
the odds of you bringing in something where it's wow we haven't even considered that please surprise me please i will i will send a free 7-eleven pizza delivered from one of our amazing delivery service and a slurpee i'll include a slurpee you send me a deck with a pitch or you email me a pitch that i have not even considered or heard of before and i will any one of your listeners i will send them a 7-eleven pizza and slurpee as a reward for for showing me a truly new idea Love it. I really appreciate this, Josh. This was super interesting. And I know founders will appreciate all of the guidance and uh, perspective from you. So thank you so much for joining the show. And uh, we will be in touch. I'm, I'm really hoping to secure that uh, that pizza and Slurpee at some point down the line. I will. I'm a man of my word. Pizza and a Slurpee or any beverage. <laughs> awesome, man. All right. Thank you. All right. So thankful to be able to get this kind of perspective from a household name like 7-Eleven. It's clear that convenience at scale means serving large and incredibly diverse arrays of populations. And while it's true that many innovations in convenience, like delivery, start in dense urban centers, founders would benefit from considering the challenges that companies like 7-Eleven face on a daily basis getting fresh food to the far corners of America. And tech has a huge role to play in that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Future Proof. We'll be posting more episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And if you're hungry for more BSV research, check out basisset.com.